Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Today in the podcast, we're going to talk about three ways to fix or improve your casting. Um, I know that it's going to require a little bit of thinking, a little bit of kind of potentially even being hands-on. I can say that as I sit here and as I record this, I am inevitably going to be using my hand and pantomiming what I'm talking about. So uh, maybe you could be doing the same thing. And a lot of these things that I'm going to be talking about are going to be small improvements that might give you a little bit more accuracy, a little bit more distance, or reduce a little bit of fatigue. But the reason why I'm talking about this is because last week on the podcast, I mentioned how your hand movements are exponentially felt out at the tip of your rod, 7, 8, 9, 10 feet away. And that got me thinking, you know, those are small concepts that can have big implications on a fly cast. But before we get to those three things, in what will probably be the first of a, a series of podcasts on how to improve your casting stroke, I did want to have a brief announcement. It's an announcement in concept, not an announcement with any sort of particular uh, specific details or certainty behind it. So uh, I have not had a advertisement on the podcast ever. I have had advertisements on the website very uh, intermittently here and there, and I haven't for a number of years. Uh, But I have been offered over the past few weeks a handful of advertisements for the podcast. Now, I want to be very clear. There's a few things I don't want. I don't want a advertisement to interfere with the production value of the podcast. I know it's nothing fancy, but what I pride myself on is 25 minutes of straight content. Boom, boom, boom. Um, not a lot of fluff, not a lot of back and forth. I have no problem with banter, but I mean, I'm by myself, so how much banter is there going to be? But I don't want something to slow that down and make somebody have to tap that forward you know, 15 seconds, two or three times in the middle of a podcast. So that's something I'm aware of and cognizant of. Secondly, I definitely don't want a sponsor or an ad to influence the content and the authenticity of the podcast. So I will not recommend something that I don't use. I will not change what I say over the course of the podcast based upon a product. Um, So like, 
right now I've got my tying stuff right in front of me and I have some EP fibers. Um, you know, if, if for some reason I were to be sponsored by EP fibers, which I don't anticipate that uh, Enrico has any interest in that, um, it, I wouldn't have a podcast talking about fly tying materials where I would say, oh yeah, you definitely need to get EP fibers. I mean, you definitely don't want to use Bucktail. You don't want to use any other brand. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I want to avoid. But I am entertaining the idea of adding a couple of advertisements to the podcast for exposure, for potential income, and just because it's something that doesn't necessarily rub me the wrong way, so I figure, why not? But you know what? I'm always interested in hearing people's opinions. If you say, you know what? That's going to ruin it. Well, I mean, I, I can appreciate that, and I'm willing to hear that. Or if someone says, yeah, go for it. I mean, you know, you, you do this for free, week in, week out. Uh, you might as well get something for it. Then I'm willing to hear that too. But I just wanted to put that out there at the beginning of this podcast because it's something that I, I, I not taking lightly. I am thinking about and I am I'm considering uh, the, the implications of it for the podcast and for casting across. But anyway, we'll see. It's a, an ongoing saga. All right, back to the content of the podcast. Three things that you can do to improve your casting, your stroke, or maybe even reduce fatigue. And the first one um, really goes back to what I said before in last week's podcast and how to fight a fish. Always be cognizant of what your hand is doing because what your hand is doing is going to impact what your rod tip is doing at a much greater degree. So uh, you could do this if you have a pencil. <laughs> you don't even need a fly rod to do this. If you have a pencil um, and hold it in your hand, uh, you move your hand a quarter of an inch. Now that pencil, only six or eight inches from the top of your hand, uh, if you, as you move your hand a quarter of an inch, that pencil moves an inch. So that pencil being, you know, 8 to 10 inches long, now multiply that by uh, a factor of 10 and think about how long your fly rod is going to travel on an arc on the tip of that fly rod as you move your hand the matter of inches. And what that means is that your line is going to be going somewhere as you do that. This is why fly casting is all about control. It's about line control, but line control starts with body control. And that means your hand, that means your elbow, that means your shoulder, and uh, even little things like your hips. Because everything that moves is going to translate into that rod tip moving. And this, you know, conceptually think about it this way. As that rod tip moves outside of a simple arc, energy is required to get that fly line following that rod tip and then moving in the loops that you want it to create to go at distance or at accuracy. So at the most basic kind of principled level, your accuracy and your distance are going to depend on energy and direction and you throw a lot of monkey wrenches in the works if your energy is reduced because your fly line is not traveling on that perfect arc with your rod tip, or you're going to have to be implementing a lot more energy to compensate for all of that extra distance that your line and rod tip travel if they are going to be moving off of that arc as well. So uh, the straightest uh, and fastest way between two points is a straight line, and uh, the same is said for a fly cast. Of course, an incredibly tight, straight cast is going to feel very, very rigid, and we're talking about degrees. So most of your small stream casting, this isn't going to be a huge deal uh, because you're only throwing your, your line 20 to 30 feet. But when you get out in the salt and you're casting 
all day at 60 to 80 feet, that really starts to add up and you're going to be getting a lot more fatigue if you're forcing uh, that line and that rod tip to move along a much wider arc going back and forth introducing a lot of variability into that cast. Consequently, when you're on a bigger river or you're trying to cast a dry fly with a lot of precision, you're going to experience the exact same thing. You're going to lose some accuracy and if you're doing that all day, you're also going to get some fatigue. So here's one of the simplest ways to do that. Um, look at your rod when you're casting. This is going to be felt a lot more when you are casting a heavier rod with a larger reel. Uh, one of the, the quickest fixes for this is to not allow your wrist to open up. So if you think about a fly cast as you're, you're like punching, so you're moving your fist and your, uh, your elbow forward and backward. Um, think about how you would punch, let's just say a punching bag. Let's not introduce a person's face into this equation if, if we don't have to. How are you going to punch a punching bag? It's with your fist. It's with those the between the knuckle that is, is on your hand and that first knuckle of your fingers. That is the, the, the most efficient way um, and the safest way to throw a punch. Um, you want that to be what is presented to the, the water as you make your forward cast. As you go back into your back cast, you don't want to open that up significantly. It's going to happen a little bit because, again, you're not a robot, you're not on a hinge, uh, but it, you don't want it to open it up so much that now your palm and the, the, the tips of your fingers are facing where you want to cast. Now, I understand that that might be the most natural motion for us as we're casting. So punching fist forward, and then as we back cast, we open up and we pivot at the shoulder and elbow and the wrist to move back. Uh, you, you think about uh, swinging a baseball bat or even something like a tennis racket, and that is, is how you move when you go to uh, employ one of those uh, pieces of sporting equipment. Uh, that might even be the case if you are casting like a spinning rod where you go back and you can go back kind of at, a, at an arc um, where, where you open your fist and your hand up to what's in front of you. If you are casting, again, a heavier rod with a big reel, this means that the face of that reel goes from uh, being um, uh, parallel with you to being perpendicular to you. And that is what uh, you want to avoid because when you do that, your, your fly rod, particularly the tip of it, is going to be opening up significantly and it's going to be moving that line not at a loop just frontwards and backwards but also uh, side to side. Now, 20 foot cast on a problem, 30 foot cast on a problem, but as you do that over and over uh, throughout the course of the day, you are introducing a very, very wide horizontal loop that isn't necessary into the tip of your rod as you cast. So as, as much as you can, try to control the trajectory of your fist uh, as you cast. Uh, this is easier to do with a smaller rod, uh, a lighter rod, but you can also do the same thing with a heavier rod. And one of the ways you can compensate for this, and, and again, I'm, I'm doing this as I'm pantomiming and talking, is that you can actually move your hips uh, side to side. You can move your opposite shoulder away from your cast as you go into your back cast. And I find this is actually pretty simple to do if you're engaging in a double haul. So you make your forward cast, fist forward, and as you pull back both with your line hand, so for my purposes, my left hand, and my rod hand, my right hand, my left shoulder and my left hand are moving to my left 
whereas my right fist and my right hand and arm are moving backwards, as opposed to if I keep my uh, shoulders and my hips in line and still, if I move to the side with my line hand and my left shoulder, uh, I, I open up a little bit more space for my rod hand to move backwards. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, this is the kind of content that I think will be fun for a YouTube channel as I get more technologically advanced. But all I had to say is just be cognizant of your, your fist and your real face. If it is moving 90 degrees as you make a simple cast, you're doing too much and you're introducing uh, too many variables into your cast and you're limiting your efficiency and your effectiveness as you're making the cast. All right, that's the first one. A lot of time spent on that, but that was something I've been thinking about. It's something that I've been focusing on as I've been casting in the saltwater, really being uh, very deliberate to make that straight forward uh, and backward cast. And I find that it makes not just a, uh, a, a better shoulder and uh, wrist situation at the end of a long day casting into the surf, but it gives me dis distance and it let my shoot my line a lot better if I'm going perfectly straight backwards and forwards. Uh, and I, I find that I have a lot more accuracy. So hopefully that helps you as well. The second thing uh, is your thumb, the thumb on your casting hand. And this is something that works for freshwater, for saltwater, for three weights, for 12 weights, whatever it may be, make sure you're using that thumb, especially as you make your presentation. So it, it matters as you're false casting, which you should only be doing maybe two times before you actually make that presentation cast. But when you go to lay that line down, when you're going to shoot that line, uh, again, going back to a double haul or even just a simple little haul to give yourself a little bit more distance to put that uh, fly out there a little bit further and that line out there a little bit straighter, um, applying significant downward pressure with that thumb is going to give you a lot of energy. Again, if you give that little bit of thump on the end of your cast, so you make your back cast, and as you make your forward cast, that is primarily being made by your shoulder and your elbow moving forward in that nice straight plane. And then as you get kind of right in front of you, uh, you know, to the, the point where your, your rod is maybe uh, a, a forearm's length in front of your, your body, and you begin to drop your wrist and your elbow ever so slightly to make that presentation and to allow that loop to unfold right above you um, and, and but out in front of you as far as your cast is. If you apply pressure with the thumb on your rod hand against that cork, what that's going to do is give that extra little bit of umph in your cast to unroll that line and make that presentation. Uh, it'll also shoot line out if you have a lot of line out. Um, it might not seem like a lot, but doing that with your thumb does a couple of things. First of all, you're not using your thumb for anything else other than uh, uh, just bracing your rod on that forward cast. It is not where the power is coming from. The power is coming from the forward motion that you've initiated with your shoulder and your elbow. And really, I know you're not supposed to cast with your wrist, but as you begin to drop that cast down and make that presentation, your wrist does play an important part, but the, the bulk of the effort is being used by kind of the palm of your hand on your thumb side, and then also it is being uh, held with your, your pinky, your ring, and your middle finger. Your thumb is really freed up to apply that little extra bit of pressure, um, especially as you are about to unroll your line and shoot out that last few feet. You do that and 
it, it will take a little bit of focus and deliberate motion, but you do that and you will see a difference. Now, again, this, this is not great radio, but this is the kind of thing that you can start to play around with as you're casting while you're fishing or as you're practicing and, and applying that thumb pressure really from the pad of your thumb, not so much with the kind of the ball of your hand. That's going to be already engaged and making that forward motion. But using the, the, the pad of your thumb on your casting hand to apply a little bit of extra effort right as that line uh, begins to unfold and as it's shooting out there that last uh, maybe, I don't know, 10-15% of your cast and you, you will notice a difference. Alright, so the first thing is being cognizant of how your fist looks as you are making that cast, what you're, where it's putting your reel, is it uh, keeping your, your rod tip on a relatively consistent plane as you make your cast. Second thing is your thumb, what is your thumb doing as you are making your presentation. Third, now third's a little bit more abstract, but hear me out, don't be afraid to choke up choke up on your fly rod so we all know what it means to choke up on a baseball bat if you're swinging a baseball bat. I guess we all don't know that but if you've played baseball you know what it means to choke up on a baseball bat you move your hands from the bottom of the grip up a little bit and now what you have is a lot more control over a shorter length of baseball bat now this is as natural the fly rod but you can do sort of the same thing and why would you want to do this? Why would you want to take your nine foot fly rod and hold it uh, a foot above the grip? Now, this is not the kind of thing you do all the time. This is not uh, the kind of uh, approach that you should take uh, when, when you have wide open water in front of you. But if you've ever needed to cast under a branch, uh, if you've ever needed to cast uh, under a bridge, uh, if you've ever needed to cast into a culvert, uh, not not cast above these things and allow your line to drift down into them, uh, but if you ever need to cast to those things and you can't employ a, a low sidearm cast, which is, generally speaking, a great way to be able to make these casts is, is to be able to drop your arm low and really throw out everything I've talked about up to this point, but drop your arm low and make a very uh, low sidearm cast so that your uh, line is only a few feet over the water. But if you find yourself in a situation where it is very difficult to approach where you want to drop that fly because of overhanging cover and, be, and because of currents or because of other obstructions, you are unable to simply cast above it and let it drift down, then you can choke up on your fly rod. Now, this isn't going to allow you to bomb out you know, 50 or 60 foot casts. I'm sure somebody's done it. But... If you choke up on your rod and you you reduce the not only the the, the length of your rod but how high the rod tip is up off of uh, you know the the stream, uh, you can uh, drop it into some lower and narrower places. Let me give you an example before you say this is ridiculous. The first two things were so complicated, uh, but this one is just ridiculous. Uh, there were some low concrete bridges on some spring creeks that I used to fish all the time. And the currents were just incredibly wonky upstream, such that you could not float a bug from upstream to where these fish were feeding. These fish were feeding in, 
these precise spots because the currents were so uh, uh, they were swirling they were creating these eddies that you would actually have to approach them from downstream but if you approach from downstream then the uh, the currents would pull that fly through that eddy so fast that it wouldn't make a natural presentation so there was no good way to do this except for dropping that fly right on top and you had to do that from above because of obstructions that were downstream so this might sound like a very particular and specific situation and indeed it is but I've had to do this in other situations or maybe because I've been lazy or because I've become comfortable with it I've done this in other circumstances as well I have actually disconnected uh, the top two sections of my fly rod and made a cast with a four and a half foot or a four foot section of rod is it easy is it comfortable is it natural no but I do that with with the uh, rod, you know, I'm holding the f the female end of the ferrule in my right hand, and I'm holding the male end and the line in my left, and I make that cast. I pop them together, and I'm ready to fish. Now, rod manufacturers might say we definitely do not recommend this. Um, it, it, it's not how rods are meant to be cast. It's a great way to break a rod, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we all do silly and dumb stuff. I've never broken a rod doing it. I've caught fish doing it. Um, it is a little bit of a hectic thing when you make that cast and you try to pop that rod together real fast. But I'm not opposed to doing it. And I've actually done the much more reasonable and normal thing of just choking up on the rod and you know even adding 8 or 10 inches uh, up the grip and, and making a cast if I'm trying to do something with, with excellent precision. And I find that it helps. Not perfect. Not foolproof. Not necessarily comfortable, but there are situations where you can experiment with different ways of holding your rod, and uh, that's not going to hurt. Now, one big caveat, don't hold on to your rod if you're fighting a heavy fish, uh, if uh, anywhere but the, the, the cork. Um, if it's a lighter fish, it isn't going to matter, but if it's a really heavy fish and you don't allow that rod to bend where it is supposed to bend down from the tip all the way into the midsection in the butt, and you are holding that thing like maybe, you know, two or three feet up from the, the, the rod butt and a big fish, I'm talking a real big fish, is pulling on that, that is a great way to snap that rod and just have, you know, uh, graphite explode everywhere. But Anyway, hope that some helpful things. Maybe the the first two are incredibly helpful, and the third one just sounds a little bit weird. But you know, think about where your fly rod is in relation to the arc that you want to travel in. So keeping your uh, your hand facing and oriented in the proper direction, or it might be easier to see where your reel is. How much is your reel face moving as it goes to front to back in your front and back cast? Secondly, think about your thumb. What's your thumb doing? Is it applying pressure on that presentation to shoot out and unroll that line a little bit more? And then thirdly, if situations call for it, don't feel uh, like it's super weird. It's weird, let's be honest. But don't feel like it's super weird to mess with where your hand is on your rod when you're making casts, especially if they're shorter casts in obstructed or tight spots. This week on castingacross.com, uh, two articles. The first one was called My Top Three Apps for Fly Fishing. My Top Three Apps for Fly Fishing. Now, none of these apps are fly fishing apps. Uh, I want to be very clear about that. These are three apps that I use all the time for fly fishing. Uh, the first one is All Trails, which is a hiking app that gives you maps and uh, records with uh, pretty uh, remarkable accuracy and comprehensiveness. Um, trails that get you all over the woods 
and guess where a lot of trout streams are and a lot of ponds are there in the woods. So All Trails is incredibly helpful in figuring out what trails are there and what trails are maintained so that you can get into the backwoods to get to fish. The second app is the National Park Service app. This app is so much fun to browse. Uh, um, I'm going to come back to it uh, later here. Um, but the National Park Service app has all sorts of great information about all the national parks, uh, national monuments. Uh, there's a great feature that gives the news. I find myself reading the news from the national parks almost every day. It's much more pleasant to read, even if it's like people being uh, you know, attacked by bears and things like that, than what's on national news. So that's really neat. But the, the maps are there closures are there which is very very helpful and uh, all of the things that you need for making plans for going outdoors are there as well and then thirdly is the photos app if you have uh, an Apple product I'm sure there's something very similar if you have an Android device but for uh, Apple the photos app records location and if you say oh that's the last thing I want to do is for my smartphone to record my location well, you shouldn't be using a smartphone if you're that concerned about it. But uh, this is great because it records location and it gives you timestamps. So if you want to know when you fished that hatch and you don't keep a journal, you can go back and look at your pictures and you can realize, oh, I did this then, I did this there. Find where exactly on the river you were because it has remarkable accuracy at putting you uh, um, where your pictures were taken. So check out that uh, article, and you can find a little bit more about the apps that I use for fly fishing. Download them yourself. I put links on there and everything. And then the next article was called Yeti Knows What They're Doing. Now we talk about not having sponsors and ads. I will gladly allow, let, accept, thank Yeti for sponsoring or, or uh, doing anything for this podcast. I don't anticipate that happening, but I'm putting that out there. Um, but this article is a kind of a, a humor article because... If you know anyone that has a Yeti product or you have a Yeti product, you've probably engaged in the conversation that goes something like this. I know they're expensive, but, and then you justify it or you've heard somebody else justify it. I've done that a million times, whether it be my coolers or whether it be my tumblers or whether it be other Yeti stuff that I have. Um, because it's just fun stuff. Is it expensive? Yes, it's expensive. I get that. And, and it, you know, we, we, we buy into the hype and we buy into the marketing, we buy into the image. And, but you know what? It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's not $3,000 for a cooler. It is $300 for a cooler, but it's not $3,000 for a cooler. If Yeti made a $3,000 cooler, then we'd have to have a conversation. But uh, check out uh, this article. It talks a little bit about their um, marketing and how they really prey on us fly fishers, which is, I guess it's fair. I mean, it's not like we'd say no or anything like that. So uh, Yeti knows what they're doing. And then this week's our recommendation on the podcast is the National Park Service app. So this app is out there, whether you are an Apple or an Android user, and it's just NPS is what it pops up as. And uh, it is just an excellent way to daydream about what you can do or your family can do uh, for your next trip. I spend so much time just browsing it. For the angler, it's helpful because if they're if, if fishing, uh, if fly fishing is a significant part of what's available at that park, then there's information for it there. It might not all be native in the app, but it will link you to the website. And honestly, I find that using the app to navigate the National Park Service website is a lot more intuitive uh, than using the website itself. Sometimes the website can be a little bit cumbersome um, in finding exactly where the maps are, uh, finding where the seasons are and other uh, pertinent information, whereas the app will take it 
right there. There's some other cool things that you can do. Uh, you can track all of the parks that you've been to yourself on the app, and then they display on a map, which is fun to kind of check out. We have the park passport, our family does, that we keep in the car, but this is a fun digital way to do that, and it allows you to see you know, what parks might be around the parks that you've been at, and it really is broad and wide. It's not just the big names. It's every little park and monument is on there, so definitely check that out. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.